Hey guys, it's Brian. Uh, I am coming to you at, at the top of the show. Uh, I believe for the first time in history of RIL, uh, aside from from some ads that we we ran at the front. Uh, but but I'm coming to you right now to let you know that um, this is sort of like a a, a prescript, a forward as they say in the literary business, uh, to this episode of RYL to let you know uh, that, that things have changed. Things change really quickly in the publishing industry, and things have actually uh, changed a bit since the um, since we conducted this interview, uh, I want to say about a month or so ago, with, with uh, Whitney Matheson. Um, I was going to say of Whitney Matheson of USA Today, but uh, as this, this is the reason why I'm coming on to, to talk to you right now, is that she's no longer of USA Today, um, that pop candy, or at least pop candy, um, as it has existed in the last 15 years, is no longer a thing over there, which is very unfortunate. Um, it's a real bummer to, to lose her over at USA Today. It was I'll be honest, was was probably the only thing, yeah, was the only thing that I read over over there, um, but I guess the best of luck to USA Today uh, was without her. Um, she'd been there for 15 years, had done a really fantastic column and some really great pop culture pieces over there, um, some of which we'll get into in the interview. Uh, but I know Whitney most as being a, a champion of, of independent comics, of alternative comics. She was one of the, the few people... Um, who you know things things again think, things have, have changed a bit over the last over the last few years but she's been she's been talking about independent comics you know people like James Kolchak she's been a huge a huge uh, a huge supporter of his work uh, she's been championing them through USA Today a very very mainstream publication as you know it's the um, it's it's the newspaper that whether you like it or not will will be your doorstep at the next hotel you stay at. Um, so, so just coming on to, I, I guess, kind of sort of break, break the bad news, but also to let you know that, um, yeah, maybe not every single thing that we talk about in this interview is necessarily accurate anymore. Uh, but a good talk nonetheless. Always great talking to Whitney. So, uh, so yeah, so stick around for uh, RL. Hopefully you will um, not, you know, hopefully you listen to a podcast for more than two minutes because, you know, it's a long one. Stick around. It's great. You're not at San Diego. Yeah, I I have been many times, but um, I haven't been to Comic Con the last. Well, maybe 2011 was the last time because I was hugely pregnant in 2012, and that is not a place to go if you're really pregnant. You could come up with a good cosplay around that, though. (laughs) I guess I'm sure people have. Yeah. Um, And in. the next year, my daughter was pretty little, and I, yeah. you know, couldn't be away. And then, um, I don't know. This year, I just didn't go. <laughs> she can get like she'll she'll be at the age soon enough where like she can actually enjoy something like comic. I think right? so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think I think in a few years we could do a family yeah. trip there. But I mean, I found that. Uh, like, I didn't really miss it as much as I thought I would yeah. the years that I was away. I, it, might, it might be going, like, I, you know, I find that just in general going places like that for work, it's a lot harder to enjoy yourself. Well, um, and Comic-Con has changed so dramatically, yeah. you know, just in the last, like, five years even. It's so different from what it used to be. And, you know, now you go and it's, like, hundreds of media people trying to get the same stuff. And, um, 
yeah, it's just, it's really out of control. And then it, like, got to the point where, you know, I'm staying up all day and all night. Because yeah. <laughs> when there's not, and there's, because there's always stuff going on, and when there's not stuff going on, you know, I'm trying to, like, write it up. And yeah. So, I mean, it's great, but it's it's really exhausting. Yeah, I found, I, I, uh, I went one year and, and realized that the only, I think the only remotely comics-related person I ended up interviewing at all was uh, Stanley. Oh, yeah. And Adam West, if you can count that. Yes. Yeah, I've talked to both of them at yeah. Comic-Con. They're good. Adam, Adam good guys. West was tough. Oh, really? Yeah. Was he... What was he doing when you talked to him? He didn't have anything in particular to... Like, he had some DVD out. Like, I you know, this that. Yeah, this year, this year it was, like, the big Batman thing, so he was... So it was he, when he did a DVD of, like, his... It was essentially a DVD, like, episode Batman commentary without the oh, Batman episode. I know like he did one of watching those. episodes of Batman. Or talking about, like, classic episodes of Batman, because for so long it wasn't on DVD, so that was yeah. the only way people could get his thoughts on it. But I, I, Yeah, I had a really bad... Partially, be, partially my own fault for, for sort of approaching him on the floor. I didn't have an interview set up with him. I was like, oh, but there's Adam West. And I got, like, this whole... I, he, I, I was intercepted by his guy who wanted to charge me like, like they were charging like 65 bucks or something for a signed photograph oh well a lot of them do that at Comic Con though because that's the only way uh, yeah. you know they don't have any I don't know about Adam West he's but, got a family um, guy and he, you know he, he does he seems to be working yeah but uh, yeah a lot of those a lot of those people charge because they don't have any other yeah. income like um who is the guy who is the incredible hulk Lou Frigno. I, was gonna, Lou Frigno. I, I was gonna actually bring him up as an yeah. example of that every year yeah. and charges however much for a side photo and if you like take his picture without permission yeah you know you don't want to you make hulk angry <laughs> <laughs> you don't you won't like him when he's angry um he gets a weird it's a weird world, but like at least you know that's that's kind of the A list of that at least you know like as far as those things go like Frigno played the Hulk on television, you know, Batman, but it gets it starts to get really weird. What's the smallest comics convention into? Oh, this. Well, I mean, I've gone to because uh, as some of the like you know Mocha as like that got yeah, yeah. bigger, that spawned. You know, now there are all sorts of like smaller ones. Like there, yeah. There, yeah. so I've been to some of those, and like there's there's one in Williamsburg, and yeah, um, yeah. I've been to like the little, like some of the little indie, because I'm mostly like, yeah. well, like you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly well, I, into like more I, indie stuff. I was just, you know, I was just thinking because like, have you have you ever been to have you ever been to like a comics convention in? I mean, SPX aside, like in like a hotel, like that sort of. It's a straight... You, you get in a really weird Only territory. SPX. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, they used to do... I don't know if they still do, but, like, I think it was Big Apple Con they would do here in a hotel by Port Authority. Mm-hmm. And that... And you just... And, you know, that that's, like, old ladies of wrestling, and and that you just get in a super strange oh, man. territory. That's, that's fast. That's awesome, though. Yeah. But, but, I mean, you know, like... Like... like Lou Frigno, those, you know, they they don't hold up particularly well. But yeah, it's it's yeah, a tough life. I know. It does make me sad to see so many of those. Um, I can't remember 
There was one year where one of the one of the doctors from Doctor, Doctor Who, Who was there, and I mean, there's so many people like that who I don't know. They're so they're so, they're so great, but yet, yeah. you know, they have a hard time like finding yeah. finding work or having income, and so that's like a major source of money for them. Is, yeah, I mean, at least, at least, I guess that at least that's out there. You know, at least like it's kind of it, you know maybe it's a good, maybe it's a good thing. I mean, you know, once you get once you get typecast at that, and you're not going to maybe find other regular work. At least there's like this whole circuit of conventions that can keep you really perpetually busy. You know, there's there's horror, there's like horror conventions, space conventions, there's everything at, at all times. I mean, I think that if you have ever appeared on any Star Trek at any time, oh, yeah. you can just go from convention to convention. Yeah, yeah. And some of them do, definitely do. Yeah. I, I, heard a good, I heard a good story from uh, a, a friend of mine. And do you, you know Max Fun, like the um, bullseye and all Oh, Jesse Thorne? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, my, old, my old video producer like works with Jesse and he was telling me a story about when they were going to like scout out the place in the Poconos for the East Coast version of Max FunCon, mm-hmm. and they they had a Star Trek convention, except it was tre- tre- I guess Trekkers in uniforms, and they had a hierarchy. So like it, it, to the point where. Um, you know the, the the lower classes couldn't eat with the captains, and they had to, like they had this Whoa. like whole this whole world built in. I'm just I'm wondering if we're like I'm wondering if maybe we need to like throttle a bit on geek, geek culture at this point. Yeah, I mean, I don't even I know I I cover a lot of stuff that is now considered like under a geek yeah. umbrella, but uh, I don't even know if I would consider myself like. I don't know. I have a hard time classifying myself, but I, I don't even think, like, I don't know if I would call myself a geek in any yeah. way, but... Yeah, well, it's, it's just, it's, it's so, yeah, it's such a weird classification now, especially since everything is, like, it, everything is mainstream, like, you know, popular culture is what a couple years ago would have been classified as geek culture. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like Star Wars a lot, yeah. but... Soda millions. <laughs> it's like the most popular movie. Yeah, of I, all time. Like there was this, there was this story. <laughs> this like, I, I, I had this weird reaction to. Like I'm, I'm, I'm super happy for Weird Al and all his successes, but then I read this story that was going around yesterday about this petition people are signing. Have you seen that? Oh, for him to play at the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, you know, maybe. Maybe we can take that. If that happens, maybe we could take that as a point where we're like, "All right, it's time to, it's time to kind of like back off a little bit." But it would be fantastic to see Weird Al perform at the Super Bowl. It would. It, it would be would. like one of the few halftime shows I would actually. Yeah. Watch. I, I guess it's sort of like, and you could you could probably relate to this as well as as well as anybody. Um, it, it's it's kind of like it's like living on the internet. It's checking Facebook too much, but it's also when it's your job so you know I'm doing this for like boing boing and like laughing squid when it's your job to sort of like sift through all of the wonderful things on the internet and then talk about how wonderful they are mm-hmm. it's gonna sound like this is like the worst kind of complaint at all but it's like it gets hard when everything is a super exciting wonderful thing you know 
Yes. Well, I mean, I find the hard part is, um, yeah, separate because most of the stuff yeah. is terrible. Well, that's fair. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's harder to, like, you know, push away all of the terrible stuff to yeah. get to the fantastic stuff. And right now there's such a... It's such a thing to um, just hyperbolize everything. So, you know, you look... So on the internet, people are talking about, like, this is the great, like, you know, this photo. Five videos you you have to watch before you die. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. which which is really insane because most of the time it's not the greatest thing that's ever been made. But, you know... But even, but even like, even like, there, there's just, again, this is the weirdest kind of playing all, but it's like there's so many, there's so many people out there making so many interesting things at all times that, you know, so I don't know, it's, it's, it just seems like something that, that would come across your radar that a few years ago you would have thought was super exciting. It's just sort of another, another video like in, in the pile. Yes, yes, which, um, yeah, that's one of like one of the pleasures of my job is to highlight stuff that otherwise might get yeah. forgotten in that big pile of links about you know cats or whatever. But um, yeah, people are. I mean, the great thing is there's so much cool stuff being produced, but that's also the terrible thing is there's so much cool stuff being produced and yeah. there's not time enough to yeah. enjoy it all. But um yeah. so how did you um how did you start at USA Today? Well I started in nineteen ninety nine. Did you even have an internet back then? When I was just twelve years old. Um yeah I started fifteen years ago and um, I was right out of college and I started doing sort of my job was in doing news, newsy stuff yeah. for the website um, but I always, well always, I was young but my experience was in you know entertainment stuff, that's what I had written when I was in college and even in high school and um, so maybe like six or eight months after I started I moved into the entertainment section and then um, late in that year, 99, I started writing a pop culture column. Just, I don't know, that's what I did when I was in college. I did it, and my editor was like, why don't you write something? We'll test it out, put it online. And um, I'm still, that was like the first col- pop candy oh, wow. column. It's, yeah. And I'm 99? still doing it today. Yeah, this is like the 15th anniversary yeah. of, which... It's hard to believe. I certainly didn't think I was, you know, going to be Do doing... Do anything for 15 Yeah, years. yeah. Um, so, yeah, and eventually it, was, it started as a column. It evolved into a blog. and um, But it became a blog in 2000 before we really had the site or any site had blogging software. Like, it was very rudimentary. It was the first blog for USA Today, and most other media outlets didn't have blogs then. Yeah. So um, it's really grown over the years, um, and yeah. Is, is that fifteen years? Is that a? Um, I don't know, it's, it's always. I know it's not technically a round number, but it's always it's always strange to sort of approach those round numbers. I mean, what? 
I mean, it, certainly there's a sense of accomplishment, but at the same time, is it like sort of like terrifying that it's been 15 years since oh, we started? Oh yeah, it's, it's hard to believe. I mean, I, yeah, I really had no intention of, of doing something for 15 years, but you know, it's sort of it's sort of changed, and yeah. I've lived in different cities, and um, you know, I started out just writing like, oh, thank you so much. Just writing one thing every week, and now I, you know, constantly I've updated throughout the day. So, and I can't, I just can't complain about it. Yeah, I mean, a you job can. where you I can, and you probably I can, do a little bit. I do a little bit, but it, uh, it's hard to when my job involves writing about things that yeah. I love. You know, um, I came out here to intern at Spin, mm-hmm. um, two thousand three or four, I think. And How was that, by the way? Uh, it was good. It was really, it was an interest. It was super interesting time to be there. Like mm-hmm. you know, Chuck Klosterman was there, and David Scott was there, and I just read. Um, Mark, do you know Mark Spitz? Oh yeah. I just read his book, and I was like, oh. The yeah. Twee book. No, the um, he wrote a, a memoir. I think it's called Poser. Oh. Came out within the last year. Or two. Okay. Yeah, but it was just it was super weird. Actually, I had um, Ultra Girl, yes, mm-hmm. Sarah. Sarah. I, I had her on the show because we worked together. And she, we were talking about this, and it's just like, I mean, you know, I was I was just like a nobody intern, but it's still kind of weird to like read that and start getting insight into what was happening there. Mm-hmm. Things that interns would never know. Just like you know, I was talking about his like drug habit and just like all these like you know mentioning all these editors and everybody that I knew. It was just like, oh, that was, oh, yeah, we might have been doing heroin or something while we were. I also just hear such because I also I interned in New York when I was in college, and I had a horrible. Uh, well, it was not a positive experience. I was at a magazine, and um, but it taught me like everything that I did not want to do with my life, which is yeah. just as valuable, I think. As, yeah. You know. Can you say where it was? Uh, should I? Say? I probably should I, say it was a fashion. It was like a okay. glossy fashion magazine, um, and I don't read those, so that was probably a problem yeah. to begin with. But um, yeah, a lot of the cliches were were turned out to be true. You know, people were very unkind to me, and I ha- I was made to do like tasks that had nothing to do with journalism, like. Um, like clean editor's desks like with Windex <laughs> and uh, like uh, one day one of the editors came in and she had gotten like something on her coat and I had to like get it off like crazy yeah. and uh, yeah stuff like uh, one one woman would say and it was often the same woman but um, there was one day when she said I'm craving something. It's a cookie. It has some nuts. It has some chocolate. Like, and I had to go out and find something that described what she was craving at that moment. Like, I can't even believe. Yeah, I did stuff like that. So it was Devil Wears Prada. Yeah, but even more horrific. (laughs) Um, The worst thing I remember doing as an intern. It's, it's demeaning for different reasons, and 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 of all places, it was at the Onion. Um, I had to go out 
So part of part of our regular intern duties was Monday morning. We would go out and um, make sure all of the the onion like newspaper boxes were the right distance from the curb because you, apparently you can get a ticket if it's like oh okay and I mean a, a that was just like a, a pain in the ass just anyway but I would go to you know you know by by the West Fourth stop like on Sixth Avenue where the, that Barnes and Noble used to be there's like this little island where the subway station is and a, like a cluster oh, yeah. of newspaper boxes uh-huh. And every Monday morning, they would just there would just be a dog pile of newspaper boxes because the NYU students would yeah. go and just like knock them. Oh my gosh! I and 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 it, it probably should have taught me the lesson that like you should be nice to interns. But then I was just sort of like, like you know, like when I was like at a, in a gadget, we were like so nice to the interns. I'm like, we gotta be a little rough on the interns, right? Like, gotta give them a little, like, make them pay their dues a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, I mean... Not hazing, like not, you know, no, not cleaning my coat. But, yeah, know. yeah, yeah, not cleaning the coat. It, should, it shouldn't... It, okay, everything they do should be directly related to the job, but, you know... At least they had you going, like... It was sort of related. Yeah, no, to, it was, you're right. So, but... Oh, yeah, that was awful. But, you know, it taught me, like... I might have tried to get a job at one of those places yeah had i not had that experience so it was good yeah i i mean that, that's kind of that's kind of, kind of that's actually how i got into technology um writing early on was just a sort of like okay i'm i've moved to new york for these internships and now the internships are over and i'm working at barnes and noble and i need to get a job so i will literally take anything in editorial mm-hmm. and i ended up at a computer magazine and I actually ended up shipping boxes for a good part of that that first year. Um, so, so, were you? I mean, how 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 was that transition from from being glossy glossy magazine intern to to USA Today? Oh well, I mean that was the that was just completely out of place because I still in college, you know, I was at the I went to the news like student newspaper more than I went to class yeah. for sure. Um, so I was very familiar with the newspaper business and how all that stuff works and you know I wrote a lot then and even before that so definitely made sense to go from there to a newspaper but when I started at USA Today um, and obviously still now I was actually working at the website Mm. in 1999 which was very interesting and um, I mean proved to be a very great time because it was still very new and everybody was open to experimenting with content and I mean the job I was hired for was a little bit but nobody gets their perfect job when they're first hired so you know I was doing sort of newsy kind of stuff and a lot of like basic updating the website and that sort of thing but um, yeah so I didn't I've never really worked while some of the stuff I why it does go into print I, I've i been at the website the whole time yeah you, uh, yeah. I guess I, what I was getting at earlier with the really long spin anecdote was you know even like again when I got there like probably 2004 like they really still didn't have their shit together as far as websites go mm-hmm. you know they were still like 
we're, we're a magazine, and also we have this website. Yeah. And we'll put some content up there. Uh, you know, arguably. I mean, there are places that are still figuring. A lot of places are still figuring that yeah. out. I think. Yeah, and and uh, you know, unfortunately, they don't have a print thing <laughs> anymore. But how how far along was USA Today when you got there? Oh, I mean, they had been. I wish I could tell you how long they had been around, but it, it had been a few years. Um, so it wasn't at the very beginning of the website. It was, but there were two separate staffs. So there was an online staff and a print staff. And since then, as if with, you know, that's the case with many print publications, yeah. the staffs have merged. And so that's, which makes sense and is very helpful. And because when you, it was it's very hard to have two separate staffs for one yeah. publication. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's progressed in that way and as things have evolved elsewhere. And I think most most sites are still kind of figuring out, like, do we have a paywall? Do we not have a paywall? You know. It's crazy, right? It's crazy, you know, that it's been, you know, 15 years, you know, since 1999 and, like, the New York Times hasn't quite figured out how to really make money off the website. I mean, they're still going; they're still like bouncing back between paywall, and it's just so it's so strange to me that like nobody's quite figured it out at this point. Yeah, but I don't know. It's a fluid thing, so yeah. people are always, I think, going to be as long as there are there's print product and online product. People are always going to be trying to figure out how. How to make money off of one? How to you know? Is is the site? I mean, is the site more of a focus than the newspaper at this point? Oh my gosh, you can't be. I, I mean, I don't know if I can speak to like yeah. the USA's overall mission very well. I'm not sure. the best person sure. to do that, um, especially because what I do is pretty independent from the rest of the operation. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think. Like the site and the mobile, those are all yeah. huge, and they all do very well. And yeah, that's certainly a a huge focus for them. Yeah, I, I just you know I, it's it's funny because you know I, I still had this it's almost like hesitation because you know again like when I when I first really sort of started writing professionally, um, it's. This probably sounds crazy now, especially to the the kids. But like, you know, it it felt like writing for the internet was like a downgrade. From like, there was something, especially like, especially for magazines, where it feels like space is such a finite resource. Mm-hmm. It it was such a bigger deal to get into the magazine than it was for, to write for the website. Well, and I think there was the for a very long time, and even now, still. Um some stories I do or people I interview I'm asked oh well is this going to go in the paper as well yeah. and um, it's not really as much of a deal breaker as it used to be you know like 10 years ago but um, there are people who who think like being on in print is that's that's the goal that's like the better thing but um, most people I think now realize yeah. that online it's going to be seen by many more people than it would be seen in print. Was that, I mean, did you have those feelings early on? Were you like, oh, I'm on the website? Mm, no, no. No. Not for you. I mean, 
I'm trying to think. I mean, not at all. If anything, it was it was pretty exciting just because there was so much more. Because the things that I'm interested in are not um, really like mainstream no. things that are often covered in in print. And the way, even though there are sites who do things like like this now but the way also that I wanted to present stuff I, I just liked the freedom that I had online and all of the possibilities that I could do I mean you know I was posting video like in 2003 and you know there were just so many more things and um, more ways to kind of play with stuff yeah. than if I was restricted to print um I mean, sometimes it makes me sad because I feel like just having this like 15-year body of work digitally, I worry that it is going to disappear into thin air. And some of my stuff that I've done has already disappeared, and I'll never find it again. Yeah. Um, so that's hard <laughs> to accept. But I, I definitely prefer doing stuff online or the the kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah. And it's that's how I consume. Like that's how I read everything sure. anyway. Yeah, that. I mean, that, that's the other thing. Like, aside from it being ethereal, I mean, especially like the curation stuff is super ethereal, right? I mean, it's like, so, you know, if if you if you put together a list of cool links on Tuesday, it's not going to be relevant. The, you know, the following Tuesday, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it it's definitely not evergreen stuff. But I also, I had this conversation with. Um, Mark from Boing Boing had him on the show because, you know, it's a Boing Boing podcast. I have to have my boss on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we were talking about content creation and I, I do I do sort of grapple sometimes with, like, is, you know, is what, you know, I, it sometimes feels like the most trivial thing in the world to just sort of, like, go through and, and pull some neat links together for people. Yeah, I mean... I do it once a I, I enjoy curating to a point, but I do like to spend most of my day writing things or interviewing people yeah. or doing something else. Um, also because now everybody is a curator. Well, so yeah, there's not exactly. really as much as of a yeah. demand, I don't think. Or it's not as much of a unique talent, you know. But, um, but yeah, I do do it in the morning once a day. But I would do that on my own anyway when I'm just looking around for stuff so you just sort of do it for fun or like I don't know I guess I guess there needs to be curators out there that's generally I'd say that's probably the most popular thing I usually post is like a morning kind of roundup of of stuff that's going on elsewhere so I you know I do it because people depend on it on clicking on it every day at 8 o'clock but yeah it's also something that I would I do by myself so it's a, it's a nice thing. Like I, I've I've had that at jobs too. It's a nice thing to have in the morning. It's just like the thing where you don't have to use your whole brain necessarily to do. You know, to just sort of like spend a you know like an, an hour or two in the morning just kind of going through and, and pulling stuff together. It's a good way to sort of get into into working for the day. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, really, I just I mean, I think um, aside from 
having things be in my own, deliver things in my own voice. I think one thing I've always done and love to do is just uh, bring attention to things that might otherwise be forgotten. And, you know, I love when I can expand on something and interview someone and really highlight it. And then just the, the curation is just like a quick way to do it too do you have anything you can point to where it's just like that was you know not necessarily like I discovered that person but like yeah I kind of I was I, I played a role in that well I mean I think that's gosh it's happened with a lot of people I've talked to because I've just been around for so long you know a lot of um like cartoonists or artists I've written about have kind of gone on to do more things. Yeah, it's happened to a, a lot of stuff. A lot of bands I've written about. I'm trying to think about specifics. There's some things that I I keep, like movies I love and stuff that I like keep sort of have written about many times yeah. over the years. Going back to the well. Um, but yeah, certainly there have been people I've talked to who have gone on to do big things. Like, I remember I talked to Rain Wilson, like, many, many years ago, and then he went on to do The Office. Oh, and, like, pre-office duo. days. What, was he, what did he do pre-office? He had, like, a small role on Six Feet Under. But there, I mean, there are so many. I wish I had, like, a reserve of, of those, but yeah. there's so many of those people who have gone on or people, you know, who've just had stuff that I've really yeah. loved is he is he is he like he remember you from the uh, <laughs> from the pre-office days oh i don't know <laughs> i don't know maybe i think so because i talked to him a few years ago for yeah. something else you know there and there are also people after you do this for so long there are people that you kind of revisit every few years and um so that's i mean that's the that's the best is like when you write about something and then you run into that person and they're like oh yeah that was that was important that you did that, like, you know. That. Oh well, yeah. There, and there is. I mean, I have to. Even though I know people look at my stuff, I always, I just really never think about it. Like, I yeah. just, I do it, and I don't really look at a lot of things after I put them out into the world and am done, whatever, tweeting about them, trying to get people to read them. But um, it's always very surprising or very moving to me when I hear from people either readers who are somehow affected by something that I wrote or the actual subjects of something that I wrote and that actually happened to me recently um, I talked to Jerry Seinfeld who I never thought I mean I wrote, I wrote something that's a involving, little struggling comedian Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> I wrote something involving uh, Seinfeld last year and um and, you know, like, never in a million years do I think Jerry Seinfeld's ever going to see, yeah. like, anything. And and then I happened to interview him a few weeks ago. And near the end of the interview, he said, yeah, I really like what you wrote a few months ago. And I was not, I was just speechless <laughs> and knocked out. I just could not believe it. And that's happened to me a few times with people who have, like, emailed me yeah. or, yeah. And That's a crazy one, though, because, you know, you think, like, he's got people reading things for him. Yeah. What he, was the piece that he... I wrote about how 
uh, Seinfeld helped me. I went through a very difficult period, mm. and that was like the one thing that yeah. that I could that helped bring me out of it. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and I really just kind of wrote it for maybe somebody else will see this, um, and I actually did a series. Uh, of people I had readers write about like pop culture that helped them through a difficult yeah. time so it was part of that series um, but I certainly I, you know never think I never think anybody about people who are going to see it I never think Jerry Seinfeld is going to see that so yeah it was completely it still blows me away blows me away but you know that, of course, I mean obviously that's going to be not obviously but you know, those are going to be the things that are going to resonate with people. If you just written like, you know, a blog post about some new box set of Seinfeld coming out, like Jerry Seinfeld wouldn't have seen or cared about that. But the fact that like you put part of yourself into it, and that's I think that's ultimately yeah. And I think um, I mean, so many other blog, if a, so many other sites and blogs that were around when I started and maybe done by one person or two people have turned into just, they've turned into their own publicate, you know, they have now a dozen writers and they've just turned into small businesses. And I know that I could do that too, if I wanted to, you know, I could, I could be an editor. I could, you know, not personally write 10 things a day or how many things a day. Um, but I just, I just think there's great value in that and having a point of view and, you know, talking about things that matter to you. And, and I mean, I have just, like, a community of people that have been reading my stuff for almost 15 years yeah. that, it, that just encourages me to keep doing it. Because I know in some ways it probably sounds sounds outdated now to say like I have a blog I write you know like but I just think there's a lot of value in it and um, I like to read things where I can personally mm. have a personal connection and so even though I do like some of the curating and you know sometimes I'll break some sort of news item generally most of the stuff I do, at least like one good thing a day is my goal is to have like a strong point of view and something that hopefully someone will read and have a connection to rather than just sort of skimming it and moving on. Yeah, I mean that's that's again that that's sort of the thing that you know I I, I, I I've sort of I've grappled with as far as content creation as far as just sort of like, sort of like churning out blog posts. I mean again like adding gadgets there were a lot of times when I was just you know writing things for as quickly as possible to get news out there um, and it you know and it, and it did and it it did get to me um, sort of writing about these like other people's really creative endeavors and you know and, and you know being a writer myself and not necessarily getting a chance to like be creative about it right. or like really right. be a writer about it and I was, I mean, there was certainly that pressure that I've had to write, to just work harder than I should, really. Just, you know, crank out, like, so many things every day and try to compete with everything else that's on the internet. And, yeah. Like, you know, but, um, yeah, now my goal is if I post something, I want it to, 
I have to make I tell myself okay can anybody find this elsewhere because I don't really want to there's no point me putting out something that someone that's all over the same story that's everywhere else um and then also what's my point of view and I wish more people had that attitude yeah. so I you know didn't have to come across like there's so many sort of cookie cutter sites where Everybody's you see the same, the same yeah, yeah the same like 20 headlines every day but yeah because I want it to matter at other people but also I want it to matter to myself yeah. too you know? how did this how did the Seinfeld piece come about in the first place well I was um, I mean, I wanted to do, it was November, I thought, well, what kind of, because sometimes, even though I write things myself, um, sometimes I have, like, guests, like, readers will contribute something or write something and I'll post it. So I thought, well, why don't we do, why don't I do a series where it's like that, like, what sort of pop culture are you thankful for, yeah. what is, like, just to highlight the fact that pop culture isn't silly all the time, like, sometimes yeah. it has general, like, serious meaning for people. And I don't know if I came up with that first or decided, like, personally decided to write about that first. But that's how it came about. So then I got, you know, all these other great stories about movies or bands or stuff that has really, like, helped people when, you know, I don't know, someone's died or they've gone through a divorce or, you know, stuff like that. So there have been a few series like that where... I try, you know, I say it's a pop culture blog, but I do try to aspire to something a little bit more. Like, I did a series about um, how, like, people wrote about how pop culture has affected their love lives. Mm. So, you know, if, like, a certain song helped them get through a breakup or, like, if they met, I don't know, at a at Comic-Con yeah. or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, I just try to raise the bar a little bit because uh, the bar is so low so many places <laughs> they just replayed that This American Life episode with um, Starly Kind with the uh, Phil Collins breakup story have you heard that one? Oh, I don't oh wait where she she talks to Phil she Collins she talks to Phil that's Collins right, and she right. like has him give her feedback because she was like listening to all this Phil Collins while she was doing this breakup and she decides that the only way she's going to have full catharsis is if she goes and writes her own song. Yeah. And she writes a song and plays it for Phil Collins. That's fantastic. That's yeah. so great. That's so great. Yeah, I mean, I like, I, I love pop culture and I love writing about like stuff that I love, but, um, you know, I'm particularly interested in when it really kind of impacts my life or yeah. makes my life better or makes me think about something that I've never thought about before. So, yeah, I love stories like that. I, th I think what I mean like I, that, that's actually one of my favorite This American Life stories and there's a lot of really good things about it but I think like what what's really good about it, it is one of, I, maybe the best thing about it is like you go you go through this journey with her where she like realizes that I mean A like you know these are these songs that she's heard like a million times these are songs that play in the supermarket and until she goes through this breakup, like all of a sudden they just like like the you know the the hackiest and the most cliche. I mean you know, God bless him, but like Phil Collins, mm -hmm. like these really super you know on the nose lyrics like just start affecting her. Yeah, and that's also great. Like when there's 
a connection, you know, between like a fan. I mean, cause she, I, I guess she could be called a fan, right? And, oh, yeah. and the artist, because um, also. <laughs> doing those series like I mentioned um, I was surprised at, I mean not only did it turn out that Jerry Seinfeld read but I wrote but um, so many of the things people wrote about so many of the people mm. they wrote about found those pieces and like someone wrote about uh, someone wrote about Billy Bragg a Billy Bragg song and how that helped him and Billy Bragg found out about it somebody wrote about of course like, Billy Bragg it's such uh, a Billy Bragg yeah. thing though like, uh, somebody wrote about how like uh, reality bites like yeah. help or it was somehow involved in like her meeting her husband and the screenwriter of reality bites thought like so yeah. I, I just love also just making those connections you know and yeah. that creates an, a new story yeah, well, they're, they're they're getting that. I mean, you know, not Seinfeld, but like, but they're but they're sort of getting that almost that feeling that you got with Seinfeld of that. Yeah, because sometimes connection. you just think that, you know, all of these like people are so untouchable and so just disconnected from the rest of the world, and a lot of very like famous people yeah. are, and some people are, but um, but really, that's I'm constantly reminded that that's not the case. That. You know, everybody likes to make some sort of personal connection like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's also a reminder of, like, you know, maybe be nice to people on the Internet, even famous people, because maybe they'll see this at some point. Well, I am very, I mean, yeah, I will say I am, I am a pretty nice. Yeah. No, you're very nice. You're a very nice person. I don't, I'm just saying, like, in general, like, I've, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. I've, I've had that, like, moment where, not from saying anything bad about anybody, but, but like, where I'll get feedback from this, like, almost like untouchable person or something and I'm like oh yeah maybe this is a reminder to just like oh I think that's that's something and I maybe was maybe I was a little bit snarkier when I was younger but certainly I've learned that there is I don't know I I don't know that there's a place there's not a place for it in, in my work I just I don't know I get much more satisfaction and I think it's better to just be sincere about things than to be snarky about things but and also so many other people are are, it just seems so unproductive to be like that it's something you've got to be really good at to pull off and also just to waste like I also don't want to waste people's time um you know, like I just don't want to read snarky criticism of something yeah. that sucks when I'd rather hear about something that's great, like sincere words about something that's great. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> there's, there's only there's only so much time you have in the day to, to <laughs> sort of like offer that up to people, so it might as it might as well be it might as well be something good, I guess. Yeah. Um, was it was that the was that the most personal thing you've written? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, but just talk, interviewing people and, like, personal stuff comes out from time to time. I mean, I, I try to, I do not really write about my personal life at all. I don't, like, I think it's very good to keep those things, like my, you know, relationships and stuff, like, yeah. that stuff separate. Um, but, but, yeah, occasionally if I think, like, something is, could be helpful to somebody else or just in conversation I mean stuff stuff comes out yeah but I mean there's a there's a big difference between like having an interview with somebody and, and, and saying something versus like I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna like open oh, yeah. this wound a little bit yeah that 
I'm trying to think if there that might be the most like personal thing I've written. Yeah, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, it it was about depression. It was like I went through a terrible depression, and I mean, I had mentioned it and in inter- like when I was in conversation with other people, like because it would come that comes that topic comes up. Especially when you're talking to creative when you're people, yeah, to, yeah, creative people. Um, and in those instances, I think every time I would hear from, you know, some readers about yeah. how it was helpful or so. Yeah, that's probably. You know, I'm. I write from my point of view all the time, but that's probably like one of the most difficult things that I wrote. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've I've certainly done a little bit of that, but. I, I can't think of an instance where I took on a topic, a personal topic with mm-hmm. that sort of magnitude. Yeah. I mean, what's 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 the process? What's the process like for actually like figuring out how to write about it? I don't really remember spending a ton of time on it. Really? To tell you the truth, I, I'm sure I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good, I but mean, actually it writing it, or? I don't think I, yeah. I did, and I, I knew okay, I'm gonna kick off this series. I think for it to have an impact, I need to just go ahead and write this, mm. which is very true. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't remember really agonizing over writing about it, and and then I don't know. I think it's another case. Like really, when I write stuff and push it out there, then. And I really don't like to look at it ever. Again. No, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that, that just could be a case of that. Just could be a case of like you're you're almost like you're tapping this entirely other or, or this new or of things to write about. So like, there's a lot to write about there. You know, like it's it, it it's in a way maybe it's easier just because you're not writing about something for the millionth time. Right. You know, it, it's. It, it's it's a lot harder to sort of like keep approaching the same thing to find new ways to approach the same thing but to really sort of sit down did you um yeah I mean like I always I, I always have to like ask this question about like you know people like making you know personal personal things like I always always wonder um, you know because like p- part of the reason why why a lot of people and I, I'm certainly the, the same to some degree but a lot of people don't like writing about or, or talking about these things is not only personal but because of like people in your life you know you don't want to like, again like you know I, t- I talked to I, I just we just put up an episode with Julie Klausner and she wrote that book about like a lot of these dudes right right and it was and like you know and that that's one of the things that would make me sort of shy away from getting too personal is like you know, I don't want to like it's it's one thing to to bear yourself. It's another thing to bear other people. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, when I wrote that, it was still the topic was essentially Seinfeld. Like it wasn't yeah. about like you know. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever. You know, I don't really write about like yeah my family or anything. I never, I never have. Yeah. And I think that's for me that's a good rule to have it's it's interesting that it was more about 
more about Seinfeld, like, I mean, obviously I have to go and read it now. Unfortunately, I, 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 I didn't read it before, before this interview. So we're like... It's very quick. Okay. It's just, it's just funny to, like, you know, for somebody who's read it to, like, hear me, like, ask all these questions about it. But, um, I mean, it was, it was just sort of, like, you trying to figure out what it was about that show that helped you? No, I mean... I think, well, by the time I wrote it, I think I had sort of figured... Well, I don't even know. Had I figured it out? I don't even know if I could tell you what it yeah. was um, about it, really. But um, I don't know. I don't know how to how to answer. I mean, I think also about when I wrote about that, um, it was November 2013, and it was... I had, It was a while after, Yeah. you know, I'd been... You were removed. From, yeah, I yeah. was... I was it. I had had a lot of time to think about it, and so it was kind of a natural thing. And yeah, like I had mentioned it, written about, just mentioned it in a little bit previously. So it wasn't wasn't out of nowhere. Yeah. In a way, though, it's. I mean, that it's even more interesting than again, like the the Phil Collins thing, because you know the Phil Collins is like. He wrote a song about breakup. This song about break, breakup affected me during my breakup. Okay, I get that. Um, you know, you were, you were dealing with this thing, and what helped you through it was, you know, Kramer. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that, that's what makes it so interesting. It's yeah. Like what? Well, sometimes it just comes out of nowhere, like the stuff that, yeah. that helps you or has a big impact on you or, you know, yeah, especially with... With pop culture, sometimes you just don't. You don't know. There's something. There is something. There's something super comforting. Comforting about like a really, not not just a sitcom, but a really good sitcom. Like, you know, it's like, like I was I, I was watching like I was watching Frasier on Netflix, <laughs> and like, and I don't know. Like, you know, I had no. I just I just kind of put it on because like I sort of you know I don't. I'm like cable, so I watch you know a lot of stuff through Netflix. And yeah, there's I don't know, there's just something about about people who can do really interesting things in a really well-established form. And there's also I think something. Well, Frasier isn't like that old, but there's also some you know something comforting and nostalgia. Yeah. Too. I mean, it's, it's the same age as Seinfeld, more or less. Yeah, yeah. and sometimes those. Give, I mean, I guess for me, Seinfeld isn't really that example. But I was just thinking about like, if I come, I still listen to a lot of the same music I listened to when I was fourteen years old, yeah. and you know, so that can be comforting too. And I do write a lot of sort of nostalgia-inspired things too. Is is your job? Uh, you know, because you, you you said you want to kind of un- uncover you, you spend a lot of time trying to uncover things um, I don't know it just seems like things aren't at, nothing is quite as covered as it used to be I mean especially like you know we, we know each other through through uh, through, through alternative comics mm-hmm. and you know there's certainly aren't it's a lot easier to get all the information about those that you could ever possibly want these yeah, days. Yeah, but there's still so many cartoonists who are struggling yeah. to just make a living and find an audience and stuff. But, yeah, I don't write as much... Honestly, I don't write as much about comics as I used to because now there's so many other people writing about comics. 
so I don't feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like so many other people are doing the work. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to write about superheroes, well, certainly, sure. unless I have a really yeah. interesting point of view. Um, but yeah, there are still, there's still plenty of things that are, that you need to unearth, I think. Um, what's your, like, your, what's your kind of current... Who, who, what, what are you championing these days? Oh, like comics-wise or anything? No, yeah. Now that now that comics has kind of fallen back a little bit. Well, I still love. I mean, still read a lot of like. Well, I try. I have much yeah. much time these days with kids, but uh, you know, I still I like get reading, the kid reading comics. Indie comics, and uh, I don't know. I watch a lot of like indie movies, and yeah. I get. I probably hear probably get like three times as many emails maybe more about music than anything else hmm. so though my just festival, like have you heard this or yeah yeah no. about like new bands so even though i do not attend as many shows and festivals as i used to like and yeah. there's certain yeah i still get a lot of joy out of discovering music all, all that stuff Music's a hard one, and and again, like this is when, when I was I, I do a little bit of music writing now, but when I was doing a lot more, is like you know, especially at spin when you when you walk past the like I mean, it's not as much a case anymore, but when you'd walk past like the CDs, like just the rows of like all of the um, the free CDs that were sent in. And you know, and just and you look at them and you realize like every single one of those is somebody's dream and somebody like gave everything they had for that and it's but but, and maybe it's not for spin but it might be for some you know somebody else yeah might be their new favorite band i mean i i know that's a struggle i tell myself like i can't i can't get to everything i can't write about everything but maybe the stuff that I miss, somebody else is going to find and love but yeah but but like I don't know, every single, probably every single one of my favorite albums of all time are things that I didn't like the first time I, or didn't, certainly didn't love the first time I heard them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I used to spend, like, you know, I, used to, I was a station manager of a radio station in college, and I would just spend, like, hours just going through the CDs and trying to, like, listen as much as I could. And, you know, you can't, you can't have that personal connection when you're sort of treating it like a, you know, like a, like an industry. Yeah. It's hard to go through. And also it's hard because most of that stuff in every genre, like 90%, maybe higher is going to be terrible. Oh yeah. It's like everything else in the world. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, you know, but the music is, is, I mean, all art is subjective, but there's something especially subjective about music. And there's something, there's something about music where like, there's something about context, you know, about like knowing. I mean, you know, I guess I guess fine art is probably the same, but like knowing this band's story, you know, and like knowing all these other things that really enhance that experience, but then make it so much harder to connect with something if you don't have all that information. And honestly, I used to keep up. Like, I used to read a lot of other music blogs. Like, I used to really keep up with like what are other people saying. Like, and then. Really now, I don't because I don't have much time. But I also just realized at some point, okay, I'm gonna write. I'm just gonna write about stuff that I really love. Yeah, that's gonna be the criteria, and I'm lucky to have that freedom. Um, 
and that seems to work out just fine. You know, I don't, I don't care if you know Pitchfork loves this record. If I hate it, I am not even going to mention it. Yeah, yeah. I try. I definitely try. I mean, I, I do. I do read. I read reviews just because it's like. Again, you know, one now that I don't necessarily have as much access to that music as I used to. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess this is a good example of where it's sort of necessary to have a curator. Is like, I'll, I'll read a site like Pitchfork just to like find out what's out there, and I try not, I try not to get too influenced by others, other people's opinion, but it, it's tough. There you go, Wendy Matheson. Um, as, we, as, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, again, not every single thing we talked about is necessarily all that accurate anymore. Um, she is no longer with USA Today. Uh, I asked Winnie to, to come back on the show really quickly to sort of give us a little bit of an update, but she said that she is uh, currently working on the definitive piece, a definitive uh, explanation of, uh, I, I suppose, what happened over there and, and you know what she's doing next, all those other things. Uh, so she, she promised that she would send that along uh, as soon as that was ready. But um, I don't know, pretty pretty enjoyable interview nonetheless. Went to a, a, lovely, a lovely tea shop in town manhattan right around where she uh, worked at the time uh got some lovely tea i got some get micha to brown rice uh, green tea she got some dumplings it was, it was fantastic a good talk uh and, and, and as i mentioned before I, I i know whitney originally through the comics world she's been a big uh, a big champion of a lot of a lot of really fantastic alternative comics you know one of one of the one of the few people out there who's consistently in in the mainstream of uh, American journalism really championing a lot of this really good stuff so I'm sure that uh, that she will land on her feet in the very near future and and wherever she goes will be better for it so thanks so much to Whitney for taking the time to do that uh, thanks you guys thanks you guys for being listeners to this program thanks to Brian as always for editing this thing together uh, thanks to uh, thanks to the Boing Boing Gang for, for hosting us up over there um, we are you can find us over at the uh, the Boing Boing Podcast Network page over on iTunes you can rate us on iTunes there, there's a rating feature now I don't know if I've mentioned that in every single episode of the show but um no time better than the present to go to go give us five stars over on iTunes. Uh, we've got a Tumblr account, and that's riwildcast.tumblr.com. You can follow the show over there just as soon as it goes up on iTunes. It will actually, so- I think technically sooner. I think, I think you know, I, I, maybe even like an hour before it actually goes up on iTunes, you'll find it over on the Tumblr page. Uh, any feedback at all, it's riwildcast at gmail.com. All sorts of good episodes lined up. We will be back very shortly with another episode and by very shortly I mean a week it's a weekly show so stay tuned we'll be back in a week with another episode of RIYL 